But for today's message, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. And so if you've got a Bible, I encourage you to open it up and read with me. I'll read it out to you. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Well, before, before we get into it, I have a couple of questions that I'd like you to talk with about, uh, to talk about with the people around you. And the two questions are this. The first one is, why do we work? The second one is, what does eternity mean? And so just for a few minutes, I'd love for you to turn to the people around you and chat about those two questions. Why do we work and what does eternity mean? Alrighty, I would love to hear what some of you have arrived at. The first question, why do we work? It can be as profound or as basic an answer as you like. What are some of the things that we talked about? Relationships? Yeah, relationships are work. <laughs> what else? To get things done. Nothing would happen if nobody worked. Absolutely. Hmm? To survive? Yep, that's right. If we didn't have farmers working the fields, we wouldn't have food. To have purpose in your life. Yeah, absolutely. When people aren't able to do anything, it's awful. To provide an income. Absolutely. I like to buy things. 
All right, what about the second question? What does eternity mean? To live on with Christ, absolutely. In Jesus, we have eternal life. What else? I saw some big arm motions over here. Like the overarching umbrella. The overarching umbrella under which our lives are just one tiny little part. Hmm, that's good. Yeah. And when we think about the eternity of God, well, when we say that God is eternal, what we mean is he is beyond everything, even time, because he has mastery over it. And so when we look at eternity, we're, we're not saying time without end, but rather even being beyond time and space. And that just makes it that much more incredible that the Lord of eternity reached into our world when he sent his son Jesus. So, what I want to talk with you about today is uh, this idea of eternity and how it interacts with work. How does the eternal fit in with the everyday? Well, first of all, I think it's important to understand that work is a part of what it means to be human. We were made for work. All the way back in the Garden of Eden, before any sin, in Genesis chapter 1, 26, God said this, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens, the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And then in the next chapter, it says, God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So right from the beginning, work is a part of God's design for our lives. And in fact, work is going to continue when Jesus comes again and brings us home. The last chapter of the Bible, uh, Revelation 22, when it describes what it will be like in heaven, it says in verses 3 to 5, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's talking about Christians. We will reign forever and ever. What does that look like with God reigning over us and we're still going to be reigning? I'm not sure, but it's very clear that work is going to be involved. God's design for us is work, and we can see that also in today's passage. Planting and harvesting, breaking and building, casting away stones, gathering them together, tearing and sowing, war and peace. All these things are work, and they're all given to us. You see, your work has a divine purpose behind it. Read with me in verse 10. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Okay, so the work that we have has been given to us by God. 
And when I say work, I want you to understand I'm not just talking about a job that you get paid for. I'm talking about the things that we do every day that have meaning behind them to get things done. Whether that's volunteering or parenting or running a business or being in ministry, all those things involve work. And something else that we can rejoice in. Read on with me in verse 11, the first part of it, talking about all the things that God has given us to do. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Work is a good thing. Your work is a good thing. Do you treat your work like a good thing? Do you thank God for it? Do you look for ways to bless people through it? Now, you might think, oh, I don't know if my job has that much opportunity for me to bless people. But if you're in a job where you create something or you do something, then you can bless people through the quality of your work. And that's not a small thing. I'm sure, just like me, you have uh, often bought something, maybe an object or maybe a service, and uh, it was much better than you expected or than what is the standard. And that was a blessing to you. You can be that blessing to other people. You can bless people you work with or people who are over you through helping them when they need it, encouraging them when they're discouraged, and sharing your faith when the opportunity arises. Christians aren't called to be free labor to non-Christians, but we're called to stand out in what we do in a way that represents Jesus. Do you use your work as an opportunity to represent Jesus? I know a man who is a regional manager for a water storage container company. Uh, and, uh, you know, that's a very secular job. There's not that much spiritual about storing water in containers. But he's a very effective man at his job. And uh, one day he was asked to speak at a management conference in his field. And uh, he said, okay, I can do that. But also, I'd like to share at the end of my management message about the impact that my relationship with Jesus has had on me. And because he was really good at his job, they said, yeah, sure, we want you to speak so you can share that. And he was able to share the gospel with so many people through that. Now, maybe you're not in a job where uh, you regularly speak to groups of people, but God can use you to impact the people you do interact with. Have faith, take a step of faith, and trust God with the results. But as we've been talking about work, I hope you can see that the things that make work meaningful and life-giving are so often so much more than just the doing of the job. And uh, the reason for that is because while we were made for work, we were made for more than just work. Going through, again, the first eight verses of our passage, we see so many things that are more than work, right? A time to weep and a time to laugh, mourning and dancing, embracing, refraining from embracing, seeking, losing, keeping silence, speaking, loving, hating, 
All these things go beyond doing jobs. Another thing, another reason we can see that we were made for more than work uh, is because we look at the result that our work has. Come with me a little bit backwards to verse 9 in our passage. It says, what gain has the worker from his toil? Now, this isn't a question that he then goes on to answer. Rather, he has just answered it in the previous chapter, and he's bringing that answer back into our minds. Uh, and uh, read with me Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 and 19. I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he will be master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. The work of our hands changes little in the grand scheme of things. And uh, the little that we have changes hands. You know, uh, the Bible is full of examples of people who did amazing work trusting in God that was then destroyed by those who came after them. I'll just give you one example. In the kingdom of Israel, once it split after Solomon's son acted foolishly into the kingdom of Judah and the kingdom of Israel, Judah had two kings named Asa and Jehoshaphat, and they were good kings. They passed so many reforms, and they tore down idols, and they removed people from power who weren't honoring God, and they led the people in God's ways in amazing things. Jehoshaphat passed away, and his son Jehoram came to the throne. And I'll just read you a few verses of uh, what his rule looked like. When Jehoram had ascended the throne of his father and was established, this is 2 Chronicles 21, 4-6. When Jehoram had ascended the throne of his father and was established, he killed all his brothers with the sword, and also some of the princes of Israel. Jehoram was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab, an evil king, had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And that beautiful legacy of faithful following God that his father and grandfather had set was destroyed Jehoram's reign and the next four kings' reigns all ended in a bloody, painful death. And the kingdom of Judah was far from God. To give an example that's more close to home, maybe more applicable to our everyday lives, uh, I used to work as a, a disability support carer. And uh, I worked with people who had very profound physical disabilities. It was a high-stress environment. And in my team, there was a lot of conflict, as you might expect from a stressful job. Uh, I was approached by my manager to uh, run a workshop on how to manage conflict and uh, how to do it productively and how to avoid bad relationships with your coworkers. 
I spent a good long while searching the Bible and thinking about leadership and other things that are effective in getting along with your coworkers. I ran a workshop, I presented them with a, a lot of valuable information. They said, this looks great, we're going to do this. And for two weeks it was awesome. And then they decided, actually I still don't like my coworkers. And uh, it was like the impact had never existed. And it wasn't because the workshop wasn't valuable, it was because what I had worked on and produced, they had taken and abandoned. How many stories have you heard of a wasted inheritance? Too many to count. What's the point of all this? Well, we have a dilemma, right? We are made for work, and our work is important and God-given and beautiful in its time. But the impact of our work can be dashed to pieces just like that, and we have no way of knowing what will come after it, what will come after when we're gone. But we want to know. And that desire comes from God. Read with me the second part of verse 11. First part, he's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Look inside your own heart, and you can see it to be true. That there's got to be something more than just what's around us. You wake up, you work, you play, you love, you hate, you dance, you mourn, you go to bed, you wake up, you work, you play, you spend time with friends, maybe you watch TV or read a book, you go to bed, you wake up again and again and again. Don't get me wrong, there is meaning there, but not enough for a lifetime. Tom Brady is uh, um, perhaps the greatest quarterback in the history of uh, American football. And uh, he has won his team many Super Bowls, the greatest football event of the year. Uh, and when you win a Super Bowl, you get a Super Bowl ring that shows the year and the fact that you were on the team that won. Well, Tom Brady was being interviewed um, uh, a while ago, a few years now, about uh, his success. And he said this, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still feel like there's something out there greater for me? There's got to be more than this. The interview went on a bit and he was asked, which of the rings do you like the best? And he said, I've always said the next one. The next one's the best. You know, that speaks to our hearts. We recognize that there's more to life, and we have a desire for it, and that desire was given to us by God. Let's finish verse 11. Yet, so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So God's put in every human heart a longing for transcendence, this rising above for that capital S something that is so much greater than we are. And God has limited us in big ways so that we cannot fully grasp it. Why would God do that? Why would he give us this desire for understanding and for 
you know, rising above so that we really know not only what's happening, but what's going to happen, the impact that we're going to make. Why would he give us that desire and then limit us that way? Well, one of the most difficult things to grapple with is the fact that you are limited. We don't have the time or the ability to fully comprehend the world, what has been, what will be, or even what is. And uh, we wouldn't even if it was all explained to us. We just couldn't hold that in our heads. There's too much. That's not just how things turned out. That's God's design for your life. Far better than God, why have you done this? We should ask along with the author of Psalm 8, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? There's an author named Joe Rigney, and when he's grappling with this, these limitations that he finds, and he has such a longing for more, to do more, to be more, to understand more, this is the conclusion he arrives at. Don't seek to be God. Instead, embrace the glorious limitations and boundaries that God has placed on you as a character in his story. The longing for eternity in every human heart has been, uh, can only be fulfilled by the eternal one who put it there. And it is God's will that your longings be met in him. Now, if you're sitting here and you love the Lord, but you still have these longings and you're not feeling that fulfillment in your life, maybe you're asking, well, why is it that if I have Jesus, I'm not having that sense of completion and fulfillment and purpose like I'm supposed to? I want to challenge you. There's a difference between having Christ and having him at the center of your life. You know, we cannot live the way we were designed to if God is just next to us, right? We are called to be in Christ, to have Christ in us. And until you pursue God the way he designed you to, wholeheartedly clinging to him, forsaking everything else, you will never find that eternal longing fulfilled. And if you're sitting here and you don't know Jesus, I'm sure you feel that longing. It can only be met in the Lord Jesus. So you are made for work, and you have eternity placed in your heart. You're called to more than just working. So what should we do then? How do we pursue God in that way while still doing work? Because that's, that's been given to us by God. It's part of our design. How do we reach the eternal through Jesus in our everyday lives? Well, Solomon, the author of this book of the Bible, gives us four instructions. 
be joyful, do good, eat and drink, and take pleasure in your toil. Verses 12 and 13, I perceive that there is nothing better for them, people, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live, also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. What does that mean? How does that connect with everything that Solomon's been talking about? Well, if God's supposed to be at the center of our lives, then we can only pursue all these things successfully in his power. Let's look at these instructions one by one. First of all, be joyful. You know, the quickest way that I know to find joy is through fellowship with others. Talk about God, talk about sports, talk about TV. Go to the beach, go hiking, have a night in, share a meal with people, do fun things, and do them in community with others in thankfulness to God. That's a gift that he's given you, and you can do that in the power of Jesus. Secondly, do good. Real simple. In every situation you find yourself in, good or bad, work or pleasure, ask yourself this question. What can I do now that I could gladly tell God about? There are so many options. Do what you want and gladly tell God about it. Eat and drink. This is more than just doing what you need to to keep your heart beating, right? God wants you to have fun in your life. There's so much seriousness, and that's good and important and necessary, but God designed us for joy and for fun. God wants you to enjoy the material things that you have access to. You know, the average Australian person has a smartphone and a laptop and probably several other things, but the average Rwandan person couldn't afford those two items with a year's salary. But that doesn't make me having this phone sinful. Wherever God has put you, enjoy the things that he has given you access to with thankfulness and without guilt so long as it does not come from a place of greed. Finally, take pleasure in all your toil. So we were given work as a gift from God, something to do and accomplish. And remember when you work that you're doing the job God gave you. Someone else could do it, but he gave it to you. That means something. Work for the Lord with joy in your heart. And I won't pretend that everyone here has a job that's easy to find joy in. Maybe many of us don't. Maybe you find it really hard to find joy in your job or in the work that you do that you're not paid for. I want to give you three encouragements. Firstly, your job is not the source of fulfillment and happiness. Only your relationship with God can fill that hole. 
And so if you're looking for fulfillment and happiness and meaning and purpose in your job, look, sometimes that contributes to it, but it will never be enough if Jesus is not the center. Second encouragement. Contemplate the goodness of your job. In every job, you are doing good. What if you're flipping burgers at Maccas? Well, you're helping to feed people. It may not be good for them, <laughs> but they're looking to be fed, and you are contributing to their need being met. What if you're a data analyst? You're organizing information and giving it to other people who can effectively use it to be more productive. You're helping other people. What if you're a parent? Well, I mean, I could talk all day about the good that you're doing. That's work. Every single job, every single part of work has good in it if you are pursuing God through it. Contemplate the goodness of your job. Thirdly, take ownership of the tasks and relationships in your job. You'll often find that although there's difficulty, when you get things done and see work that is accomplished because of you, then there is meaning, and you can find joy in that. Finally, remember that the work of the Lord endures forever. Verse 14, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. This is a sharp break from us, right? Whether we're wise or foolish, rich or poor, hardworking or lazy, a generation will come where our names are forgotten. What we accomplish is often undone just like that by the people who come after us or the people who come after them. I think of uh, a politician who's uh, in power and works throughout their term of office so hard to get a piece of legislation or a body of work done and it changes things. And then the other party gets in power and that's rolled back. And it happens in our own lives as well so often. But God accomplishes so much of his work through us. And we can be a part of the enduring work of the Lord. Notice in verse 14 towards the end, God has done it so that people fear him. God acts so that we may fear him. Well, what does that mean? Well, fear of God is more than just respect. It's more than that. A child fears their father in that they are very afraid of the discipline that follows disobedience. A citizen fears the government in that they are very afraid of the penalty for breaking the law. You who belong to God's family should fear God as a child fears their father, knowing that the pain of the Lord's discipline shapes us into the image of Christ. 
who saved us with a salvation that endures forever. And you who don't yet know Jesus as Savior should fear God as the judge before whom you stand guilty of a capital offense and have no defense. He is a just judge. He won't look the other way. And uh, the verdict he announces is eternal. There stands one who is ready to take that punishment that's rightfully yours onto himself. His name is Jesus. But he says that you must put your trust in him before he saves you. He won't do it if there's no relationship there. Submit to God and fear him. Verse 15. That which is already has been. That which is to be already has been. This side of heaven has been and will be a cycle of birth and death, planting and harvest, killing and healing, breaking and building, and all those other things over and over again until the Lord comes to bring his people home. But God establishes his everlasting work through us. God's calling you out of the daily grind to live for eternity. And you're called to do it in and through the everyday work that he has given you. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world. But we are called to be in the world. What gain has the worker from his toil? Nothing except to be joyful and to do good as long as you live. And remember that this toil is the work of your hands and feet. Remember also that every part of your life has a spiritual side to it. All of it is done in relationship to God. God's given you the work you do and you're called to live for eternity. Therefore, the work you do should point to eternity. For both you and the people you encounter. So what you do with your time matters to God. Live for eternity. Won't you pray with me? And as we pray, be thinking about the year that is to come. God's speaking to you right now. What in your life needs to change for you to live for eternity. God's given you that desire. Seek his wisdom. What needs to change, Lord, to live for eternity? Heavenly Father, we love you and we know that you love us. Thank you for this message that you have given to us. Would you help us, God, to understand the meaning, the real value in our work? We were made to work, and that's good. It's part of your design. We were made for so much more than work, Lord. Would you show us what our calling to live for eternity looks like? Give us direction, we pray. We trust you, knowing 
that you love to answer the prayers of your children? Would you give us the dedication, the commitment to seek your wisdom in how we need to respond and live for eternity? In Jesus' name, amen.